0: Welcome to Say No to Tyranny, Say Yes to Barbecue podcast. Um, It's good to have you guys back. It's been a while since we've done a podcast. I think my last podcast was in February, actually. The reason why is is because I actually got busy all of a sudden. Uh, Once the governor lifted the mask mandate, we were able to reopen our restaurant, and uh, we've been focused on that. But at the same time... We want to continue doing this podcast every now and again, uh, hopefully a little more consistent than what we've been doing, um, But and we want to do it through a Christian worldview. So we're, we're not just here to, to take the daily news or whatever is pressing on us and try to talk about it in a worldly sense, like we have a purpose, and that is to have God at the center of everything we do in life. Christ is all and in all, and therefore, we as believers and Christians should live our lives like that. Um, So today, the reason what got me back is uh, a couple weeks ago um, in my hometown, there was a school board meeting on a gay flag, pride flag, that was hanging in a teacher's classroom. Um, my understanding is it was hanging in there for many years and she, she, nobody's ever complained, but now somebody has complained, a student complained and that therefore parents got involved and they held a school board meeting where you can make public comments a couple weeks ago. Um, and so we went to that. Um, I went to that. Um, I did not speak. So. When I, when I uh, showed up, we, we were walking up to the door and there's probably about 75 um, LGBTQ protesters. Um, and they were waving all their rainbow stuff. And you had to walk through them to get in. And once you got in, you got in two lines. One was if you just wanted to attend. And the other line was if you wanted to speak. Um, by the time I... Opened the door to my car and got into the building. I probably had four people come up to me and ask me if I would speak on behalf of, um, the gay flag and not being in favor of it. And and then once I got in the door, I probably, I had several other people come up to me and ask me, Hey Matt, please tell me you're speaking. Are you speaking? We need you to speak. And going into that, I had no intentions on speaking. Um, and for multiple reasons, um, and I, I, here's what I told people though. I said, you know what? I'm not speaking tonight because there is a lot of Christian men and all these people who came up to me were mainly Christian men. And I'm like, you guys need to stand up and you guys need to start fighting and contending for the faith in the public square. Like we've been doing it now for a year and a half in a lot of different areas. It wasn't that I was scared to speak. I was given an opportunity to a lot of pastors who were in that room, a lot of Christian men who were in that room, who were posting a lot of things on Facebook, some of them, but yet when it came to actually stand up and to contend for the truth, they didn't do it. And and so I wanted to give an opportunity for them to stand up, and then, and it just did not happen. So therefore— I thought that I should um, do a podcast in a response to that public meeting and talk about um, not just that meeting, but going forward in our, our Christian worldview, going forward in the faith and encouraging men and women who love the Lord to stand up and to not be ashamed of Christ. Um, leaving that meeting, mm-hmm. uh, like – I had a Christian brother come up to me and he's like, Matt, I'm a coward. He's like, I should have spoke tonight and I didn't. And I was like, you know, don't beat yourself up too much. Repent. And next time do do it differently, you know, stand up and speak. And he was like, you know what, Matt, I'm a coward. I cannot speak. I'm not you. And, you know, that kind of struck me because I guess for some reason people think it's easy to stand up and and to fight against um, the cultural norm um, to go against the grain, like it's easy for some people to do for Christians to do. It's never easy. It's not easy for me and it never is easy for me. It's not fun to get made fun of all over social media, um, or even to your face walking down the street because of the stance you took for Christ or for some other reason that you, your conscience really holds you to like, that's never easy. But we're commanded never to just um, cave. We're, comman- we're, we're, we're commanded to contend for the truth that was once laid out. It was one time laid out, and that is Christ giving his life um, and dying and arising from the dead so that we may have faith and that we may be saved in Christ. And, you know, that is contending for the truth that was once laid out. And every Christian— who calls themselves a Christian is commanded by God to do that, and so I, I want this to be an encouraging podcast. I want to talk about some um, heavy issues. I want to, I want to, I want to, but I want to, be, I want to encourage. I want to encourage men and women who listen to this to stand up and start contending for the faith that you claim that you have. Um, And so that's what this podcast is going to be about. It's going to be about the public school. It's going to be about the school board meeting. Um, And in doing so, we have a special guest with us today, uh, Patrick Steckbeck. He is uh, a longtime resident of Bluffton. Um, He was born and raised here. And uh, God converted Patrick at the age of 16, and he's been studying theology ever since. He graduated with an undergraduate degree in Reformed Theology at the age of 22 and a master's degree in Philosophy at the age of 25. In that time, he married his sweet wife, Alexa. Though they're both Indiana natives, they now live in Texas and teach at Annapolis Classical Christian Ac- Academy. They both love Reformed Theology, Classical christian education conservative politics and yurgy state road barbecue you know uh patrick that's probably the uh best bio i've ever read and had everything to do with the last line how are you doing today
1: i'm doing well matt i'm honored to be on what i perceive is the coolest podcast ever in my mind even if not in the culture's mind
0: yeah you know we're all heroes in our own minds right so i'm glad that uh I'm glad that you feel that way. And I, you know, I don't think this is the greatest podcast by any means, but I do find it uh, enjoyable and uh, beneficial. And and it helps get a message out that I think has died here. I don't know when it died exactly, but, you know, um, contending uh, for the faith. So I guess my first question, Patrick, is I know that you, um, You watched the school board meeting online. Um, What did you think of the school board meeting as you watched it and as you thought about it over the next couple days?
1: So, yeah, Matt, I've been dealing, you know, within my own family and and around other people with the LGBTQ uh, push into Christian circles for a while now. I think I was, you know, uh, 18 and I started to write about it and was, you know, hearing things from my former youth pastor and stuff and have been thinking about it for a long time and my sister actually was the one who texted me and she was like have you seen the school board meeting so i think it was a saturday and i pulled up my computer and was just like let's check this thing out you know i'm not I mean, you know we'll go see what happens and i you know i started to watch it and i was i mean my basic idea i, I had a bunch of ideas i mean I uh, you said there uh, at some point we lost it and i realized at that point we had lost it a long time ago uh when i watched it and i so two two main things i noticed from the meeting. Uh, the first thing I was watching, I was watching, I was watching, and over and over again, the witness from the LGBTQ side would go up and they would, you know, argue and argue and argue. And I think throughout the whole two hours there were only three Christians who stood up and talked. And I'm not for certain, but I don't think any of them were ministers. So the first, the first thought that I had was, where are the Christians? Right? Like, where are they coming up here to make a case for Christ in the public sphere? I mean, we're called to be ambassadors, and I was just my heart was devastated. Where are they? And then my second thought was, where are the ministers? Right? I mean, I'm not a minister myself, but I'm trained in theology. Um, you know, I've been trained in rhetoric and all that. And I'm like, these guys have spent significant amount of time and money to be trained in shepherding the flock of God. And I thought to myself, why aren't they talking? Like, why aren't they out there? I know that even if they um, don't have a, a sheep that they're guiding specifically at that meeting, they're going to see it. I thought it was like around 4,000 views. I'm on the Internet. And then by the end, Matt, I I thought I really want to be at that meeting, even though I like you like you said earlier, it's like it's not fun uh, to to be made fun of. It's not fun to be on the minority report side. It's not fun to be called a bigot. It's not fun to be called a fundamentalist. But ultimately, our allegiance to Jesus has to triumph and and, and be stronger than our fear of man. And I thought I want to be there because I have something to say. And what I wanted to say to people was. First of all where you know repent of your homosexuality and, and jesus you know forgives sinners and all that all the you know so the normal say but what i really wanted to say was not to talk to the board but to look at the people in the congregation and to call out the christians and say why are you not t- why haven't you already taken your kids from this institution right like the, you know the lady who goes up there she goes and she talks and, and she or the, the woman who had the the flag right and she argues you know we should have a space for this and, and I was listening to her, and I was like, on purely public school, secular grounds, she seems to have a point, right? If all opinions are equally valid, and we don't prioritize one set of moral beliefs over the other, then she did something completely consistent with her worldview.
0: Yeah, uh, I agree, Patrick, with that. Hold that thought. So here's my thing. Going into that, I, like, I don't know what to say, because we're going into complete God. And again, we're, I'm, a, I'm a post-millennialist, all right? I'm, I'm mill. So, you know, I know that, I know that Christ is king over the public school system. I know that, you know, but at the same time, like it's getting funded by the government. The government is all about the LGBTQ nonsense and, and they're funding it with billions of dollars. So how could I go in there to an institution like that and tell them to take down a gay pride flag? I'm like, that's what they're about. That's who they are. That's what they're pushing. That's their narrative right now. That's what's coming into your living room every night on the news. And they want you to be have this force down your, our throats and they want us to, I mean, that's their agenda. That's their narrative. So how do you go into an institution like that and tell them to take it down? Like, I don't think I, I I think you're right. Like it would have been towards the congregation. It would have been towards the people standing there. It wouldn't be necessarily like, you know, public schools should take this down because it's wrong because clearly the government don't think it's wrong. Anyhow, I just wanted to interject. Go ahead.
1: I I 100% agree with you, Matt. My, my initial thought when I I saw that was, boy, we have got our theology backwards. Because I was like, it, it's like, you know, judgment begins with the house of the Lord. And I was thinking, my address here isn't to primarily the LGBTQ people. And I, and you know, what I would have done, I think, Lord willing, it, you get up there, you don't say what you know you, you plan on saying, you you get up and you try your best. But I would have addressed them and said, you know, uh, Jesus is Lord and King. He's called all people to repent. And I would have preached the gospel, Lord willing. But then I would have had a particular emphasis on talking to the Christians there and saying, look, This thing has been dead in the water since the beginning. It was made in 1840, I think was the first public school in Massachusetts, 1837. Um, And it's been what what you call secular, right? It's been on non-Christian foundations from the very beginning. They refuse to submit themselves to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. And you said post-millennialism and all that. They refuse to take a Christian worldview at the outset in one of the most intimate endeavors that you could ever have, which is the education of a child. And they're going to train them up for a world that they don't believe is Christian, with methods that aren't Christian, with a curriculum that isn't Christian, and expect them that they're gonna come out Christians. And that's what we expect when we send our kids to Leviathan, the state, the government, like you said. Um, and so I, I really wanted to take the opportunity and be like, look, guys, this gay flag isn't the issue. This is the tip of the iceberg. And under there is an entire iceberg of ideology and of theolo- and of lack of theology, really, uh, that is completely contrary to the Christian worldview. And it's no wonder 70, 70- I think it's 70% of people who go off to college end up renouncing their faith because they put up with it for a while with mom and dad, but they ultimately never really believed it. And part of the reason why is you send them to Leviathan to be educated when God said it was your duty to do. And so I'm like, I would have looked at them and and encouraged them. Like you said, ultimately, I I don't want to just condemn. I want to give hope. There's a lot of ignorance there. But I want to say, look, isn't this a great opportunity for you to take your kids out of the public school system? Look, Jesus is merciful and he forgives, but you can't look back now. You know, like you know that this was a dumb idea at the beginning, you repent and dust and ashes, and you, send, you either homeschool them, you Christian school them, or you classical Christian school them. And I'm like, I think there's a lot of freedom there, but I'm like, I obviously have my opinion, so.
0: No, that's good. And we're gonna get into that here in a little bit, but I wanna just back up a second. Sure. Um, so, like, <clears throat> I read a, I, I saw a report or a poll or something that said that, um, like 58% of all young men, uh, from the time they're born th- doesn't have a dad in the home and they're raised by a single mother. And then they send them to public schools and, and like 78% of their teachers from the age of six to 18 are all women. Yep. And then we wonder why, where's the men out? Where's the Christian men out with the, with, with the, with a with a with a backbone a strong christian man who's willing to lead willing to to contend for his family to lead his family disciple his children where are all these men at well they're not there because of this the way that society and the secularism that you're talking about and i think it's intentional um yeah. they 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 um they, they want men to be more like women they want them to be soft they want them to, to be more feminine. And, and so that's how our, our sons and our young men are coming out of the public school is, is raised by women their whole life. And that's a big problem that I guess I didn't think about before, but I think there's a lot of answers there on why there are no strong men, very few strong men in our society today.
1: I agree with you, Matt. I think you're 100% right. And I mean, it doesn't just extend to the public school system or even just the family. It's also in the churches. I mean, we have a feminized preaching of the gospel. We don't have a we don't have a strong Christ who's lord over everything. Uh, we we have emotion laden sermons, which are fine. I love my I love emotions and affections. Emotion laden sermons that are gushy without hardcore doctrine. And it's just just to add to that, just to say it's I don't I think it's spherical, right? It's all the spheres that God instituted: church, state, and family and, uh, and to, but to all that to get back to the point a really big way one of the most essential ways and an essential way that we're going to have to fight against the, the this onslaught of feminization and secularization in our culture is to get our kids out of that system and to start to you know uh start to train them with people who have explicit christian worldviews who believe in the distinction between men and women who believe in educating differently uh, men and women i mean that's an emphasis that we seriously have in our schools um and, and under all under the lordship of Jesus Christ and if you don't start at the root you're not going to bear the fruit you know i mean that's just the way it is
0: yeah and you're right about that so you know when i have these conversations with people in, in around me and in my circles that are still uh sending their kids to public school or even teachers uh at public schools that claim to be christians I hear this response a lot um, is, well, if all the good people, all the good families in the community pulls their kids out of school, how bad is that school actually going to be? If all the Christian teachers leave the public school and all the Christian kids leave the public school, won't that leave the public school system in our community um, like more depraved and, and more wicked than ever before? What would your response be to that?
1: This consequence paradigm. Like, well, what if what if we lose this? What if we lose this? And people just assume that this is the paradigm that they should be doing. And so take them back to basic Sunday school and say, look, uh, Jesus is concerned with consequences and he's going to take care of them. But what he's asking you to do is be faithful to his word. And when you look at the scriptures, it is not unclear, and in my judgment, not unclear at all, that education resides as the responsibility of the parent, not the government. Deuteronomy 6 says this when you go down and on the way, raise your children in the Lord. And even more to the point, Paul in Ephesians 6, he says, raise your children, and he, there's a Greek word there called paideia, and he says, raise your children in the paideia of the Lord, the instruction of the Lord. And that word is taken, and it's it's taken from Greek culture. The elites would train the, train the elites and the rich in that culture would train their kids up in a way that was unto excellence, right? Unto being the most virtuous, the form, the perfect form of the virtuous man in the Greek state. And Paul's being subversive there, and he says, train your children in the, idea of the Lord, right? The excellencies of Christ under the Lordship of Jesus. And so if you go back to Sunday school and you take the basic ideas of we're supposed to submit to Jesus, that's where you get it, right? That's where you go. And then if you want to go consequences, I got a second argument for you. Why are you t- Why are you sacrificing your children to Leviathan the government in order to affect a result that is minimal at best and that doesn't bear out in the statistics, okay? Paul says clearly, bad character corrupts good morals you have secularists, like, let me just give you an example. The person who had the gay pride flag in the room, that secularism didn't start with gay pride flags, okay? It started much earlier, and I'm sure she's a good teacher, and the greatest, that makes it worse, right? That makes it worse. The better they are as a teacher, without a Christian worldview means they're that much more likely to uh, fall into fall and prey into this secular system. I'm a teacher, all right? I know how it works. These kids are very impressionable, very sweet, very kind, and they look up to these teachers. They look up to every single one of them. and They want to please. They naturally want to please. It's like you're sending your kid to, to people who don't agree with your worldview and don't agree that they should be raised in the instruction and excellence of Jesus Christ, right? And now they'll say something along the lines of, uh, well, you know what? It's, it's neutral. We're not against Jesus. We're just not for him. But if you let Jesus again back to Sunday school, if you let Jesus define the terms, he says, "If you're not for me, you're against me," right? And how much more so in the most intimate area of of their lives, right? This this instruction of a child at its most at their most um, you know impressionable state. Uh, one last quote on this point, Matt Jay Gresham Machen. He was a uh, he was a Presbyterian minister and reformer in the I think, believe it was in the nineteen nineteen or the nineteen hundreds, and he said he was comparing and contrasting the modern governmental state with the medieval inquisition right people going out and forcing people to believe things and he says the inquisition was something along these lines says the inquisition was terrible but the modern method is far more effective he says take the children from their parents at their most fashionable ages uh, raise them according to experts from the states from the state and it's no reason to see why no remnants of liberty subsist right well I, I saw that I, I was yeah i was i was 18 matt when i read that for the first time and i circled it 14 times and i was like that's it like that's it because when i was i think i was 12. i think i was 12 in the public school system at bluffton which is a great school system right yeah people tell you i was and i remember raising my hand or not i don't even i don't know if i raised my hand but i looked at like the stuff around the board and it said like well, why do you make all why do you do good in school so you can go to college why do you go to college so that you can make more money why do you make more money so that you can die so you can give your kids so they can repeat the same process and i said it's meaningless it's meaningless mm-hmm. and i checked out at 12 and i got converted to 16 you know by the gospel so i'm like I bel- yeah i believe this man it's there's no there's no we, we christians have bought into the lie that we need to compromise and it's like on this issue there is no compromise like there is no compromise with this state and 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 you know the lady who put the put the gay pride flag. She said something very, very poignant and true. She said this issue did not create the divide; it revealed it. And I was like, I completely agree. Take your kids out. Yes. <laughs> you know? Like that was. I was like, Amen. Divides there, and you yeah. know we don't owe we don't over her that. We don't owe her our kids. Render to Caesar what Caesar's and to gods what's gods. And whose image is on your kids? Gods.
0: And not only not only does that gay pride uh, flag uh, divide, but it's it, it's a it's a uh, mockery of the one who really causes the division, right? So I guess coming out of that meeting, one of the thoughts I had that I could not get over was that man, those people, um, the LGBT community, that great, that pride flag means. So much to them, and I, I, I think that 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 rainbow flag is their god, and the way they talk to about it, the way they defend it, the way they bow down to it, like clearly it's their god, and it's 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 a piece of material. It at the end of the day, it's a piece of material that stands for a lot of things, which I want to get into a little bit here in a little uh, second, but their god is waterless clouds, like there's no power there. There's nothing there. It's just material. It's fabric. Now, I know there's a lot of ideology and a lot of things that go behind it, but my point is this. When I walked out of that meeting, I was like, wow, they love their God way more than Christians love their God. They're willing to come to the public square. They're willing to fight for it. They're willing to defend it. They're willing to contend for it. They're articulate about it. They know what they need to do, and they did it. And you know what? There's a lot of people in this community who's been Christians for a long time, and I've seen them there, and I know they've been Christians for 30 years. And they don't don't feel that way about the one and true God. So the Bible says, For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit, of joints and of marrow, in discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart, so that's what we're dealing with here. You know what? What's dividing is Christ. That that's what's dividing. Rightfully so. Now, that uh, that flag could be a like a um, not a uppercase division but a lowercase division so to speak but mm-hmm. the real division comes from the gospel and i think that's what christians have forgot i think that that's why we don't get up and we don't speak is because we know it's going to divide we know that our neighbor is going to hear about it and they're going to not like us anymore or they're going to give us mean looks or they're going to shame us on facebook we know if we contend for the truth there's a price to pay for that but we were bought by Christ with a very high price, with a high cost. And and it was, he gave his life for us. He gave his life for the church. He laid down his life so that we can live. And it's like, we are scared to death to go with that message and bring it to the public square and Herald the gospel because that that the gospel going out does not return void. It's going to do something. We're never right. going to change their minds. We could have the best arguments. We can be the most articulate group in the world. And we can go into these school board meetings and we're not going to change their minds. Well, the only way we're going to change their mind is through the gospel. And so and we refuse to say it because we're scared. we refuse because we're going to look dumb. We refuse to say it because we're afraid of man. We're fearing man. And and, and and the Bible is clear that you cannot serve two masters. Either either you fear God or you fear man. And I'm just concerned that a lot of Christians, and I know in this community, but I'm sure it's like this all the way It's probably like this in Texas. It's all across the board. But we are we are afraid, and we're choosing to fear man over God, and that is troubling to me. Um, so, yeah, that that's what I took away also from this meeting was that Christians are kind of being cowards, and I know that's harsh, but they are cowards right now. They're not standing up. They're they're hiding. They're they're hoping that they're not being that city on a hill. They're hoping that they're turning off their lights, and they're hoping nobody looks up. And th- and that's the that, that, that's the reality of the society I'm living in right now and we're living in. Um, and so I want to, again, be encouraging. And it's okay. You know what? If somebody's and there are a few people standing up, and I we, we can talk about that in another podcast, but it's, it's very encouraging to see a, a, a brother stand up and be willing to get his teeth kicked in for the sake of Christ. That makes me want to do it more. And I'm hoping that it grows like that because it does grow under persecution. But eventually, you're going to have to make a decision. And if you can't make that decision now, where you might get shamed on Facebook, how are you going to ever make that decision when the persecution's going to be a lot worse? I don't know. What's your thoughts?
1: I you. Well, Matt, I, when you were talking, I thought of two Bible passages. It's in Revelation where it says cowards won't inherit the kingdom, right? I mean, it just says it straight up, like cowards aren't going, right? Um, And obviously, you got to nuance that a bit because it's not talking about people who have a moment of cowardice or else Peter would be, you know, Peter would be going to hell because he had a moment of cowardice when he denied Christ. But for people who persist in that sin without any repentance or any growth whatsoever and no, you know, they make no break with it. They don't they don't fight it. It's like we have no evidence that they're converted. And Jesus says clearly, uh, I don't remember which gospel it is, but he says, if you're ashamed of the son of man and his words, he'll be ashamed of you on that day. And so it's like, you got to count the cost, man. And this is a call to, you know, maybe people getting converted for real for the first time, like who do you ultimately serve? And when you were talking there, I was convicted because I'm like, you know, generally speaking, I think I've been willing to stand up, but it's like, I don't sometimes feel like I love God as much as they love their rainbow flag. And I'm like, right. So this is like a call to me to repent too. And, and you're just saying encouragement. And I'm like, I have to like, it's going to take sincere Heartfelt on your knees, repentance before God in tears. Right, I mean that's what God's calling us. He's calling us to rend our hearts, not our garments. Right, that's from uh, an Old Testament passage. And I'm like, it's, that is encouraging that because you're calling everybody, no matter where they're at in their state, you know, in their, in their sanctification and their progressive growth and grace, to go that much further with Jesus and to push the antithesis, is what we call it in theology, to push the antithesis that much further. Right, we have we have been bought with a price. We are called to put to death all of our sin, not just one of them, not just four of them, all of them. We're called to be completely, you know, conformed to the image of Christ. And none of that justifies us. None of that earns our standing before God. But it's all evidence of what the Holy Spirit's doing. And it's necessary. It's necessary. Uh, the Hebrews says, without the holiness, there, there's a holiness without which no man will see the Lord. And again, like I said, it's not meritorious. You didn't earn heaven through it. I mean, gosh, we would never be enough, right? But it's like, it's necessary. And it, it, and it shows you who you are. It's like, and, and more than that, there's another perspective where it's like, he's the King, man. He's, 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 uh, ascended on the heaven. He sat down at the right hand of God. He's transforming the world under his Lordship. It's like, you're going to choose to either get with that or not. And it's like, you got to kiss the sun, lest he be angry. And you, or you perish in the way that's Psalm too, you know? So yeah, you your scripture over and over again, but I'm like, the, the point you made is sincere and it is encouraging in a way that people don't normally think about it. Right. It's encouraging for you to do right not necessarily for you to feel good
0: and that's that's what i that's what i took away from what you said oh that's good and you know because i mean at the end of the day um we're all going to die you're you know we're, we're going to face god we are going to be judged um i'm going to be judged you're going to be judged homosexuals are going to be judged and and Honestly, like, we as Christians are called to love our neighbor as ourselves. And you know what? For a Christian that won't be, that isn't willing to tell the truth, the gospel, to the LGBT community and ask them to repent of their sin and turn to Christ, um, in that meeting they were giving these statistics on suicides in the LGBTQ group. And how 20% of all LGBTQ, um, or of the suicides were, were, uh, because of bullying. Okay. And they did, and they did a great, uh, bait and switch with what that flag means. Right. It turned into bullying where, of course, everybody's going to be against bullying, but that's not what that gay pride flag stands for. It's not a safe place. It is, it is a place that's going to send you to hell if you don't repent of your sin. And and so for a Christian to sit there and not tell them that, and I think a guy did tell them that, and I was, I, you know, that was encouraging in that meeting. I think one guy did step up and yeah, say that. Did. I um, was, yeah, I don't remember who it was. Yeah, I don't either. But uh, but that is the most loving thing. That's the best way we can love that community is to give them the gospel, have God's word work in their hearts, work on their lives in every, in any way which He wants to do it's not up to us we don't have to convince them god changes hearts we just got to speak the truth faith comes from hearing and when there is no hearing going on in that kind of setting or at the public square then there can be no faith because faith comes one way and that's from hearing the word of god and so we've got to as christians we've got to know the gospel we've got to be we got to be able to present the gospel and and not be afraid to do that and we have to trust in God. It's not, it's not how awesome we are. It's not how well we say it. It's not how articulate we are. It's God's spirit moving. And it's going to do one of two things. Why? Because he's a two-edged sword. He's living and he's active. It's either going to soften the hearts of the sinner. And yes, homosexuals can be saved. You know, I don't. I know there's a sect out there that believe they're reprobates and they're just doomed. That's not what the scripture teaches. You got to repent of your sin and turn to Christ, and He will save you. And then, and then, and then also, if you do not do that, it's just going to harden your heart more to where you're going to hate God more, and you're going to dive into worshiping creation more rather than the Creator. And we are all designed to worship something. We're all designed to worship. It's what are we worshiping? Are we worshiping God, the Creator, or are we worshiping the, the creation? And that whole LGBTQ movement is all about worshiping creation. They worship sex. They worship. They worship uh, individualism. They 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 worship all kinds of themselves. Like, and they're not the only people who do that. But not all unbelievers do that. They worship something. But with them, it's it's just it's all about their sexual preferences, which is really perverted. I mean, honestly, like sitting in that meeting, I'm like, really, like we're really talking about this publicly. Like, I don't go around talking about how I'm a heterosexual and 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 what I prefer with my with my wife, or you know what I mean. Like, that's just weird.
1: Yeah, it, it shows the moral degradation that we've entered into. That Bluffton, Indiana, this so-called safe place, is you know, I mean, we're just like flaming. I mean, and that's part of that's part of the nature of the sin too, right? I mean, like the homosexuality sin is so flamboyant because you're looking at your Creator and you're saying, "I don't want you." You're like, "I'm not going to accept your lordship," and so it is a flamboyant sin if you look at it in Romans one eighteen through thirty-two. It's like it's it's the kind of we refer the, the great sin is idolatry, right? Where we replace God with creation. And is there anything more, I guess you could say unnatural and contrary to that order than homosexuality, but at the flip side, like what you said, you said, uh, you know, homosexuals can be saved just like anybody else. And that's exactly what Paul says in first Corinthians six, he says, you know, except for some of you, homosexuals, adulterers, idolaters, and all these ways, and he says that you were cleansed, justified, and sanctified in the Lord Jesus. So that, you know, it's that two-edged sword, right? We convict and we proclaim the comfort of the gospel.
0: Yes. And just going a little bit farther through this. So the Bible says, Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither the sexually immoral, nor adulterers, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality. And then in 1st Titus one ten, it says, The sexually immoral men who practice homosexuality, Enslavers, liars, perjurers, and whatever else is contrary to sounding or to sound doctrine. Now, now, there's a lot of sins in that. That that besides homosexuality and that that scripture I just read. So we, you know, we're both part of a church. We 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 find uh, gathering with the saints on Sunday to be one of god's commandments and it's a it's amazing to go in and corporately worship with the saints if we have a brother who's not homosexual but is struggling um with uh, sexual immorality or he's being an adulterer we're going to call him to the table and we're going to ask him to repent aren't we
1: right amen yeah i mean we're going to call him it would be completely hypocritical right like that friend's going to damn him to hell too exactly and I would expect and hope that someone would call me on my sin when
0: I did the same thing. And I agree 100%. 100%. I mean, it went on to liars and perjurers. Like, all those are right. sins that are going to lead you to hell. And as a church, you're not going to let your member or your brother or your sister live in that sin. If it comes out to light, you're going to call them to repent because you love them and you want them to become right with Christ. And so... So, we're going to call them to repentance. But this whole homosexuality thing is, no, accept me for who I am. Right. Like, allow me to keep walking in my sin. Love me for me. You know, love is love. I In this community, we have um, prominent Christian figures who are saying things publicly like, we just need to listen more and talk less. Yeah. And that my friends is the worst thing that Christians could do because essentially what they are saying is you need to stop listening to your conscience and listening to the word of God. And you just need to listen to what somebody else tells you and believe that and accept them for who they are, even though you're you're not loving them because they're going to end up in hell if they don't repent of their sin. Right. And so this homosexuality thing, it's like, you know, we don't want to act like no other sins exist and and because they do, but all other sins we 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 tell people to repent of. We, we we bring it out to the light, confess it. Christ will set you free and 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 you know, turn from your sin and and turn to God and bow your knee to King Jesus. But on this homosexuality, this LGBTQ sin, no, we got to accept it for what it is. We really have been misreading our Bibles for 2,000 years. All the early church has misread their Bibles. Now we're so smart and we actually are so enlightened. We now realize the Bible actually doesn't say what the Bible actually says. And that's coming from prominent Christians in this community. And I, you know, it's I mean, heartbreaking. It's heartbreaking.
1: It, it is a complete distortion of the gospel, too, if you really think about it, because uh, you, you've probably heard the popular phrase, uh, love the sinner, hate the sin kind of a thing. And the way that people use that is to excuse their, at least as I've heard it, sometimes I've heard it used okay, I guess. But the way people normally use that phrase is to excuse their lack of calling someone to account right? And so when somebody says you need to accept me as a homosexual, it's like me saying you need to accept me as a luster or, you know, like something else. Cause Jesus didn't just die for sins, right? He died for sinners, and he died for sin dispositions and temptations. He didn't just die for actualized sins, you know? So Jesus died for me on the cross. He died because Patrick Steckbeck, in his core and at his root was wicked, and he needed to be Uh, a new creation at the core and the root. And so, if we're going to, quote-unquote, accept people for who they are and where they're at completely, that would would reduce the gospel to nothing. Jesus died for people, not just for sins. And so, the the whole accepting people in that way, it's kind of an equivocation on the word accepting, because I can be kind to you and, and tell you the truth and certainly not affirm anything that you're about and tell you exactly where you're going and exactly what God thinks about your disposition and your person, you know. So, it's 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 terrible it's a way that we cheapen god's law and we cheapen grace thereby by doing that
0: yeah that's good i I like the way you uh put that so my wife just handed me some bourbon are you drinking anything
1: Uh, no, that's not good. I, I ran out. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry to hear that, Patrick. <laughs> you, you utilized all my Christian liberties earlier this week. So. <laughs> <laughs> no, I love a good
0: bourbon, man. I, I, I've had a cigar in a while either, Well, yeah, Labor Day is yeah, a good day to that. Yeah, I had a uh, cigar yesterday. Yeah. It was good. But, uh, yeah. no, that's good. So um, so here's the here's the deal. So let's 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 bring it back here a little bit. I think we laid out a case on... How being a, a Christ follower, we're, we're called to not be liked, we're called to be faithful. So we, we have to have guts, we have to have a spine, we have to have conviction, and we have to do it to our own hurt. And, and so, you know, um, not, we go and we tell homosexuals that they must repent because King Jesus is reigning and he's coming back again and you will face him at some point. That's not us being homophobic. That's not us being jerks. That's actually us being very loving to our neighbor because we do not want to see them spend eternity apart from Christ. And so, so then going back now, This meeting happened the the lid was blown off. Everything was exposed. We don't live in Mayberry here anymore Okay, you can't say we live in Mayberry now, right? It's here. We've got we've got Transsexual we got pansexuals. We got bisexuals. We got all kinds of homosexuals We got all kinds of things going on in this community raising kids Our kids are going to school with their kids and we're sending them into that kind of environment while they're being taught eight hours a day, five days a week, they go to church, you know, what, an hour a week, and they're getting all this secularism shoved down their throats, and I get some school systems are worse than others, but it's happening in the school district uh, district that one of my kids went all the way through from kindergarten to, to 12th grade. He graduated last year. Praise God, he had... God had grace and mercy on him and, and and he he's doing really well with his faith and everything. but then I have two other children who are homeschooled. So I have a nine year- old daughter and a 14 year old boy and like the curriculum that they are learning is unbelievable. like critical thinking. Have you ever heard of that, Patrick? <laughs> uh,
1: I heard of it a little
0: bit. <laughs> have you ever heard of logic?
1: Yes. Yes. I teach
0: <laughs> okay. Okay. Like <laughs> I it, they that. actually yeah. teach those things, and and there's programs and there's practice. curriculums. So yeah. let's move on to. So you were you you teach in a private Christian school, okay? What benefits would it be for to send our kids to a school like you teach at?
1: So, yeah, man, I teach at a uh, classical Christian school, so that's a distinct form of Christian schooling. And I just wanted to say at the outset, um, I'm going to make a, I think, a really strong, or what I think is a really strong case for classical Christian schooling. But I recognize at the outset that uh, not everybody has an opportunity to send their kids to a classical Christian school like I teach in. Okay? Maybe it's outside of the pocketbook. Maybe it's, there isn't one in your community that you agree with theologically. Um, so there's freedom on this issue because I'm, I'm going to say it pretty strongly, but I wanted to say it at the outset. I even understand that there are there is a very very rare case of people who do not have the opportunity to even take their kids out of the public school yet, and I will make the argument, and maybe we can go back to this point in a second. But I would make the argument that it's on their church to help them. But I'll get there in a second. <laughs> um, so classical Christian schools. So what what is the model? Why does it work? Uh, the idea is that Jesus is Lord in every sphere of human existence, and there is not a square inch of human existence, that so he is not called mine, um, and he has ordained several different spheres of reality that he is he is re- doing his lordship through. Uh, one is the family, another is the state, and the third is the church, and you could say the fourth is the individual. But we argue and we contend that God has given families, not the state, the responsibility of teaching the children. Okay? And so we, the classical Christian model was developed in order to come alongside uh, Christian families in order to promote a distinctly Christian view of education. We look back to the classics, so some some classic resources from Greece and from the Reformation period, all under the Christian scriptures in the Bible. And there are several reasons that I can get in with you why I think it's so strong. But let me just give you some statistics uh, before we even do that, that I think can draw people in to see and deal with a lot of the objections that people have uh, to classical Christian schooling. So this was a. these are statistics drawn from the sociology department of Notre Dame. Okay, and if you know anything about Notre Dame, uh, they are a hardcore school. They do hardcore work and they're not, ex- they, they're historically Catholic. So it's not class. It's, but the classical school system is Protestant. So it's not exactly like they're super biased in our way, but they did this study and they have a bunch of these statistics. So here's one. Uh, I'll, I'll start with two that I don't think are as important and end with two that I think are super important. So they pulled all these kids from uh, public schools, prep schools, Catholic schools, Christian schools that aren't classical. Homeschool and then classical Christian schools, okay? And so the the first prompt is, I feel helpless dealing with life's problems. 41% of public school students agreed with this statement. I feel helpless dealing with life's problems. 34% of prep school students, 43% of Catholic, 35% of Christian school students, not 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 a classical, excuse me. And then 42% of homeschool students, so pretty high. I feel helpless dealing with life's problems. 17% of classical Christian school students who graduated from an ACCS, an accredited uh, classical Christian school, answered that, that I feel helpless. They don't feel helpless. They feel prepared for their environment. Number two, uh, earned mostly A's in college. Okay, so this is one of the fears that people have of homeschooling and Christian schooling, and uh, is that they won't get as good of an education. And the stats are in, it's just not true. So 33% from public schools, 35% from prep schools, 33% from Catholic schools, 31 from just generic Christian schools, 42 from homeschools, 53 from classical Christian schools. Right? I mean, the data is there. Uh, the Christians, the classical Christian school kids do perform better generically in college. So, But onto the more things that I think are more, more important. So those are two, what you could say, you know, things that people are generally worried about that we have to make our argument about that we're not really that excited about. We're excited about, obviously, about excellence. But here's something that I'm excited about. Attend church three times or more a month, right? I think you should attend four times a month, but three times or a month. Public school, prep school, and Catholic schools, less than 35%. Public school, prep school, Catholic school, less than thirty-five percent. Homeschool and evangelical, it was in between sixty to sixty-five percent. Church three times a month. Okay, an ACCS accredited school, a classical Christian school like like that I teach at, are roughly at eighty-nine percent of faithful church attendance from their graduates. Eighty-nine percent. I mean, that's that's a big deal. To me. And then um, two more uh, classical Christian schools. They say there is. They agreed with the statement. There is an obligation to take. Action against wrong or injustice. So we tend to think, right? This classical school movement is on the right. It tends to be more like capitalism. They don't care as much about social inequality or social justice issues and you know, stuff like that. And obviously, those terms are laden, are laden with uh, with meaning. But let me just give you the statistic. All other forms of schooling surveyed were right around or lower than 30% that agreed with the statement: obligation to take wrong against, take action against wrong or injustice. of students polled at ACCS schools believe it is their obligation to speak up against public injustice, which is exactly what we're talking about today. So it's like, how do you get the kids with spines? Well, if you're looking at the statistics, one way to do it, and it's not a uniform idea, but one way to do it is to follow the model. You know, do it the way that God programmed it in his word, and it's been worked out in these classical Christian schools. And I'm like, so here's the last one. I think this one's the most important. Believe that the Bible is the infallible guide for personal life and practice. Catholic schools, prep schools and public schools all below 40%. I mean if there's one thing you can get from your kid that you want them to know it's that like God's word is true, right? And then generic Christian schools are at roughly 73% with the statement and 60% with homeschool. And an ACCS graduate is about 80%. 80% perfect belief in the infallibility of scripture. And I read that and I thought it was a bit low. <laughs> but you get it. the statistics are there, Matt. Um the if if your goal is you know, if ACCS kids overall get better grades, feel more equipped for life, believe in the Bible, seek to live it out at a staggeringly higher rate than any other form of schooling in America today. And my argument to people who don't want to take their kids out is why not? What reason could you possibly give If it's money, find a way, you know, if it's, uh, I mean, other than, you know, location, I'm like, yeah, you can't find a school, that makes sense. Uh, but I think the statistics are in that I'm making a strong case that the movement is successful and it's worked and it's because it's under God's word.
0: Yeah, that's good. So here's the deal. Like I, I think that the, um, what you're talking about, the classical Christian education in the schools is a great way to do it. And I know that's your life. That's where you're teaching. That's what you're wrapped up into. And that praise God. But you know, I get that people don't live by these schools. I get that they could be expensive, but we live in a day and age where there are some amazing online schooling options you have from a, a the same thing. Like right now, my son Bailey, he's go, he's taking uh, he's doing this through New Saint Andrews, out of Idaho, all yeah. online. Yeah. It's the same thing, I believe.
1: Yeah, no, I, I would say that the curriculum that he's getting from there is is roughly the equivalent to what we
0: teach. Right, and you know what? It's 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 amazing, and so it's not like we're sitting home and 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 teaching our fourteen year old. You know everything that I know, because that ain't much. Um, he's actually getting taught by by <laughs> teachers like you online every day, and right. it's only like honestly, I think it's only like five hundred bucks a year.
1: Really? Yeah. Oh. <laughs> the, you know, because the main the main issue that people have with uh, sending their kids to Christian schools is, you know, that, that it's costly because it is costly, but it's like look, man, like, yeah, I, that, that's true. But if you can take this in between and go do homeschooling, that's infinitely times better and actually faithful to Jesus, right? Yeah. It's like, you know, so I'm like, yeah, absolutely, man. I'm with you 100%. I'm like, I am pro those things. I, obviously, I believe face-to-face you can't beat it. But I'm like, dude, <laughs> that is a good model.
0: <laughs> right. Uh, and it, <laughs> so money's not an option, right. you know, because you can find these things. And I'd be willing, email me. If you, yeah. want, if you want information, um, say no to Tierney, say yes to bbq at yahoo.com. I'd be happy best, to give you all the information we got. <laughs> huh?
1: Best email
0: ever. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's amazing it was free and not taken. So, so, I mean, again, hopefully that's encouraging to the Christian parents out there who are thinking, man, I don't know what else to do. I can't homeschool for so-and-so reason. Uh, I can't afford to send them to a private school because it's so expensive. You know, there are options out there. There's really no excuse to leave your kids into the secular school system at this point as a Christian with everything going on in the world. Like there are ways out. God has given us ways out to educate our children to become dragon slayers right. and not, not, not weak men and, 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 getting tossed from, uh, from the waves, you know, from it constantly. And, and so, hopefully that this is encouraging to people. Um, I got a, one last question, and then I'm going to let you cover anything that we did not talk about that you'd like to talk about. Um, we talked about the Christian kids in these school systems, okay? Yep. Now, I know a lot of Christian teachers who are in the school system where I live. I'm neighbors with them. I talk to them on a regular basis um they know me i know them i go to their houses they come to mine okay and i I don't want to be i don't want to i i i don't want to be a jerk i really don't um i don't want i don't want to be brash but my question is is how can in europe i mean according to you patrick what, what, what would you say to Christian teachers in the public school system at this point?
1: The first thing I would say is why, and I would try and get their stated objections, but I would ultimately have to, um, you know, I, I take a strong view on this, Matt, and I don't mean to come across as brash either, but I honestly don't care at some level either. Um, my, my wife has this great analogy that she gave me the other day because I've always been against this. Uh, even though I'm a minority report on the issue of teacher. you know, since I discovered classical Christian education and one of the ideas, the idea there is that the, the teachers want to make a difference kind of a thing. Right. They, they, this is their stated reason. Okay. And I think there's an underlying motivation too that I'll get to. Their stated reason is they want to, they want to be able to help the kids. They want to be an influence. And I have a twofold response to that. One is, do you honestly expect to turn around a moving train, a train going one way by running down the box cars the opposite way of the train? You know, right? Like, you're, you're not going to turn around a system that's been around since 1837, agnostic at its roots, then Darwinist, and now LGBTQRSTUV by you just being a nice guy. Okay. Cause, and then the second thing is this. You, when you become a classical Christian, or, or not a classical Christian, when you become a secular school teacher, you agree to the terms to not speak the name of Jesus unless you're asked. I don't see how you can be a faithful Christian and an ambassador to the Lord Jesus Christ unless you're being subversive to the very vows that you took to be in that institution. So I don't, that, those are two things. Third thing, uh, the stated issue is I want to make a difference. But let's be honest, sometimes the underlying issue is the thing that the American church struggles with the most, which is the love of money. And I don't know if this is 100 percent the case every time. But it is a sacrifice to be a Christian school teacher, a classical Christian school teacher. In a lot of cases, in my case, it was it was it really was. I wanted to do this since I was a kid. So I'm like, you know. But a lot of these people are taking are masters educated. They are taking a serious pay cut along the lines of you know seventeen thousand dollars to what they would get in the public school system. Benefits are low, and they're doing it why? Because of conviction. And you know, and the benefits that they get, frankly, so greatly outweigh any sacrifices they made that it's almost not even comparable because they're getting to proclaim their subject under the word of God, seeing little kids transform, being able to, I mean, at the youngest stages, I hear the little kids saying nursery rhymes about Jesus and stuff like that. And it's just, that's the world you get to live in. And it's like, I'm not a gushy guy, but I watch those, you know, I hear their little chants and stuff. And I watch my kids get to repeat to me a level of system, a system of theology at seventh grade that I didn't understand until I was 20. And I get them to hear hear them use that language and be able to really love it and engage it. And so I'm like, the benefits are out there, right in terms of like actual reward. and Jesus is I, I really think it's a call. Like it's a call from God. You have the gifts. You've been called to be an ambassador for the Lord Jesus. Why would you be on the team that isn't promoting his name when you can be on a different team? So that's that's my pitch.
0: No, that's good. And I think that honestly, um, I think that there needs to be some reflecting. I think that 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 there's some people that need to really consider what you just said. Who is in the school uh, system, and um, I hope that there is honestly, (laughs) I hope there's a a huge exit out of it, and we build something alongside of it. But you're gonna have to give up stuff. It's gonna be costly. But what isn't costly as living? As a Christ follower, it's always costly. It, it is. I mean, if we're living, if we're living for Christ, it's going to be costly, and we have got to we we have to learn that. We have to know that. We need to pray that we become bolder for Christ, um, and that we need to be faithful, more faithful to Christ by His grace. Um, I'm not talking about works based salvation. I'm talking about being saved, knowing you're saved, and now obeying Christ because of the Spirit that lives in you is nudging you in that direction, and we can't say no to it. And when we do, we repent, and we turn back to Christ. Um, we, need, we need to go in that direction as, as Christians. Um, our churches need to get stronger. Um, yep. we got to start preaching unapologetically. Um, We need to, we need, we can't make people happy because we're dealing with a two-edged sword and God's the one who either softens the heart or hardens it. So stop trying to act like, you know, you, you have that power. And once we realize that it's freeing and disciples are made because we go out and we make disciples. we go out and we preach the gospel because we know that it has nothing to do with us. We just have to be faithful, and God blesses that um, is there a, hey, you did say earlier on that it's on up to the church to help uh, people get into yeah. this kind of education. Did you want to touch on that a little bit?
1: yeah I do honestly i um it's it's a peculiar you know I, I haven't heard too many other people have this idea, but I really think it follows right. These are, you know, regardless if you're Baptist or Presbyterian or any other thing, you believe that we're called to raise our children in the fear and admonition of the Lord, right? Now, that's given to families and that churches have a responsibility to disciple all their members, right? All their people who are within their church boundaries. So I think that the church has a responsibility. Again, this could be debated, but I really think it. Church has a responsibility, particularly from its deacons, to support those who need help, Figuring, like, uh, with, with regards to monetary stuff with schooling. Now, if they want to use that money for homeschooling, that's fine. For Christian schooling, that's fine. But I think it needs to be part of the church's mission to both proclaim that this needs to be done and then stand alongside it and help people get it done, whether that's part, promoting them to godly resources. But I think it's an aspect of discipleship. I mean, you're talking um, about this this program that you, met, or that, that you found from New St. Andrews. It's like that needs to be in every pastor's, you know, like his toolbox to be able to say, look, man, we're not telling you like you need to go to the, the expensive classical Christian school down the road. We're saying, look, you have a great education. that's like, you know, 10 times better than the than the, uh, the, pu- the public school system and actually honors Jesus. That's right here. And we need we need pastors and deacons and all kinds of Christians just spreading this knowledge around. I mean, man, I mean, think about it. Right. How beautiful would it be if the uh, the gay pride board meeting led to a revival of Christian education in Bluffton, Indiana, ultimately? Right? Like, I mean, that would be, you know, I don't know what the will of the Lord is, but that would be a beautiful thing. And so I'm like, well, how are you going to do it? Well, you got to take practical steps and the church has a part to play in that, that, you know, the family does and the church does. So.
0: That's good. Um, is there anything else you want to touch on before we, uh, end this conversation, buddy?
1: Matt dog, Jesus is King and, uh, his kingdom will have no end. That's all I got.
0: Amen. (laughs) Hey, if you want, if you want to live free, turn to Christ, repent of your sins, And believe in Jesus Christ, Him coming to earth as a baby, living a perfect life, fulfilling the law, and dying righteously and taking on the wrath of God so that all those who put their faith in Him don't have to. Believe in Christ, repent of your sins, where you fall short, repent, where you coward, repent, where you're living, and you know it's not the right way of living, because the spirit is convicting you, and you're reading your Bible, and you know your Bible's telling you this is not right. Repent, repent, turn to Christ. Um, a Christian life is one of repentance. That's Martin Luther, isn't it, Patrick?
1: That's right. First thesis. Yeah. The Lord and Master Jesus said, "Repent, you will." But the entire life be one of repentance.
0: Yep. Yeah. And so, if you want to be free. If it, you know, suicide, again, that came up a lot in that uh, board meeting about how a bunch of these LGBTQ kids are committing suicide. The reason they're committing suicide is because that pride flag offers no hope and they finally realize it. And if you want hope, turn to Christ, repent of your sins, and he will set you free. Thank you everybody who uh, tuned in, who's going to tune in. May Christ be praised.